Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of four books on cycling, soon to be five, which is very exciting. Uh, also a writer about all things fitness-related for Bicycling Magazine, Nylon, Map My Run, Under Armour, and a bunch of other places, and lover of pretty much all things fitness-related. And I'm Molly's co-host, Peter Glassford. I like to say that I carry Molly's bags around, but in my spare time, I am a professional kinesiologist, a registered kinesiologist. Oh, I thought you were going to go with professional mountain biker. No, I'm a moderately good mountain biker. I sometimes do Thought you had it this time. I really thought your confidence Um, was there. And mostly I help people ride their bikes well, but uh, just movement is what I love. I like helping people move differently. I was just talking to... One of my cycling clients was is going to be taking on some adventure racing and maybe a bit of Xterra this year. So we were talking about running since he has a bunch of ankle stuff. So we'll maybe include that question and answer in our April Q&A, which is coming up in a couple weeks. But all that to say, this is the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are back again. We have some new intro music. Yeah, we hope you like it. We... We're really excited about it. It's uh, it's by a guy named Scott Holmes, which conveniently is Peter's best friend's name. He is the mayor of Singhampton. You may know him. He is not actually the person who did our. I believe uh, music. in the contract we we are allowed to say that that the mayor of Singhampton <laughs> has composed this well, song. Well, there you go. It is called "Road Trip" by Scott Holmes. By Scott Holmes. Really and excited. Yeah, and I think it, it's a really good, you know, beat. It's it's pretty good quality. You know, the the song Molly had was had some nostalgia for Molly and was sort of back to. Hey, Dance of the Raging Peacock is a classic. Uh, indie punk classic from Rob Dunn of. Uh, is he the guy that died in? No. CQ? Oh, I think pretty sure Rob. Saving Dunn. Prophet Ryan. <laughs> no. Oh, Ryan Dunn died. Yeah. Anyway. He, he was in Jackass. Um. Anyway, you you may notice uh, my distinct lack of voice here. I've been pretty sick all week with a really nasty cold, which is sort of a bummer in our last week in Oxnard in Southern California. Although we're still in California for another ten days, so hopefully I'll be back to normal. They probably don't even notice with these new audio enhancements. I don't know. Are... Maybe with the audio enhancements, they're noticing every single pitch and yeah, timber be. and yes, sexy, gravelly sexy growl thing. voice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we also did, uh, we just did a photo shoot for our podcast cover. So look for that header image changing soon. It was a really good, good shoot today with the dear friend of ours professional photographer uh yes absolutely evan guthrie new career for him uh we had a blast doing it though we took some pictures of him and peter as well so that was super fun um and today's episode is actually we mentioned it a bit in the intro last week but it is our very good friend charlotte batty who is one of my favorite people on the planet she uh, we talk about it in the episode, but she actually threw my bachelorette party for me last summer before I married my co-host Peter here. Uh, we went downhilling for my bachelorette. She was the woman behind it. I was absolutely terrified, um, but we had a fantastic time. And yeah, she has a lot of really interesting stuff to say about van life and getting into mountain biking and kind of getting your confidence up for trying some technical stuff. Uh, I know when I was riding with her when she was out here visiting us a couple weeks ago, I definitely got over stuff I wouldn't have before. Yeah, she's a pretty awesome, awesome lady. I've always liked... <coughs> oh, Molly's there it was. Still there. <laughs> um, I've always liked hanging out with Charlotte and yeah, I think she's got a really good perspective on sort of riding for fun and, you know, 
life as a 20-something, but certainly, you know, some adventures of van life. I think a lot of people, you know, you're not necessarily interested in van life per se, but the idea that, you know, we're going to go drive in our van to a race or we're going to go, you know, for a trip for a few months. I know definitely a lot of my clients with nine to fives are doing that, you know, whether they have Volkswagen vans or they're, you know, have some sort of sprinter van set up or whatever, even the back of their truck or something. So I think Charlotte has some interesting tips for that. And then also a bit of riding tips and where else do we go? That's pretty much it. We talk a lot about confidence on the mountain bike and just sort of some some ways to get your technical skills up to par because I think that's where a lot of us struggle. I mean, you see that in coaching all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The skills are where a lot of people need to do work. Exactly. All right. Um, and then the last thing I'll add before we dive into our talk with Charlotte is just that we are still looking for questions for next month's Q&A. So if you have any, uh, feel free to, uh, you know, find us on consummateathlete.com. We just did a site revamp, so I'm also really just excited to have people look at the site. Um, Yeah, there's a contact form there, so you can certainly submit that. Um, Also, if you have, you know, if you think you're a consummate athlete and want to jump on and have a chat with us on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you know a friend or just one of your heroes, if you'd love to hear us have a chat uh, with them, we're definitely looking to, you know, always branching out to other sports. We're looking for scooter riders. That's my new focus. I want a professional scooter. That's in scooter-er is what we're looking for. So. <laughs> okay, with that in mind, uh, let's, let's get into it. Enjoy our chat with Charlotte. This podcast is supported by Health IQ, a life insurance company that celebrates the health conscious, including cyclists and other endurance athletes. They're awesome because they take into account differences between endurance athletes and, well, people who aren't endurance athletes. So instead of measuring just BMI, they actually check the waist to hip ratio, which can help, you know, trackies and sprinters and those of us with more muscular builds. Yeah, they take into account, you know, if you have a low resting heart rate or something, you know, they look at that as a good thing. They also take into account if you have a good diet. So they're looking at all these different elements that are sort of associated with a healthy, active lifestyle or a consummate athlete lifestyle. Oh, I like that. And they have forgiveness for family history issues, which can be, you know, super important for those of us who are leading a really healthy lifestyle, but maybe have some family members who haven't led particularly healthy lifestyles in the past. Anyway, to find out more, you can visit healthiq.com backslash consummate athlete to learn more and get a free quote. You can check out their life insurance FAQ page on the site as well to get your questions answered. Um, It's really great for us if you go to the consummate athlete one. Again, it's healthiq.com backslash consummate athlete, and it can be really good for you as well. So hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are here with our dear friend and fellow van lifer, Charlotte Batty, (laughs) who is in her van at the moment outside of our, parked outside of our house in Oxnard, California. So we've had a couple good days of shredding and we realized there's so many good tips and tricks and things that you and I have been talking about the last couple days. So (laughs) let's, uh, let's dive in. So first of all, Tell us a little bit about your your background as an athlete. Ooh. Um, so I have a long history in the sport of mountain biking. Um, like what? Most of your life, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm the youngest of four. Um, got into it simply just like kind of chasing after my older siblings and ended up starting to compete at around the age of 10 
And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. so like, yeah, got into it pretty early, uh, which is probably good. Cause it's like, you know, getting into the sport that young, it sort of like develops, you develop without the fear of a lot of obstacles. So it's definitely helped me to get to like the level that I'm at today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I ended up racing for eight years, um, all across the country, like competing to be on the national team, did some racing over in Europe, uh, which is definitely an eye opener from North America. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I got kind of to the point, like I was going from the transition of junior to the elite category and I don't know, my heart just wasn't in competing anymore, but I like still loved the sport like so dearly. So Mm -hmm. I made the, the transition out of competing and then, um, actually, so I was racing for the Trek Toronto store and at the same time that I got out of the, the competition side, um, the truck women club was sort of an up and coming thing that truck was putting out with the, the stores around the, I guess, Canada and the U S so Barry near proposed like, Hey, do you want to help run this thing just to kind of keep me in the sport? And actually if that opportunity didn't come along, I don't know where I would be in the sport right now, but, um, yeah. So I kind of took on that with a couple other girls and that's now evolved. Oh my gosh, I think we're going to like our seventh year or something. And, um, yeah, so I've been working with more of the instructional sort of guiding side since then. So. Yeah. It's funny. We were looking at your Facebook today and it said like nine years ago. You were yeah. In on for yeah, race. I know. And I, yeah, it was just super like reminiscent being in Tucson again. Um, yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago. I was going to say. so, <laughs> But I mean, with my bike and my mountain bike, mm-hmm. <laughs> not a road bike. That transition has also, yeah, shifted into this whole like van life thing you've yeah. been doing for the last few months. So yeah, talk, uh, give us a little bit about like all of the, the cool things you've been up to in the last couple months. Oh man. So yeah, just totally hit, um, I'm calling it a quarter life crisis because it was 25 when <laughs> it happened. Peter well, waited so- till like 29 to have his, <laughs> so. No, around 25 yeah. I had one. Then I just had Do you just time. have them every year? Pretty much. I mean, that's just life. No, no one knows what Seasonally. they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just kind of hit hit a wall with what I was doing and kind of in a weird weird job that wasn't working out. And um, anyways, ended up leaving that job, found another one, um, ended up working in the bike park at Blue Mountain, so guiding and instructing, which was actually really awesome. Um, but just kind of saved some money, put a, put a goal down that I was going to leave in the new year. And originally I was going to commit to three months of living in my car in a tent. And then, um, a friend of ours, Corey Hancock just did kind of a similar trip a year ago, but he had an RV that needed to get driven down here or something. He had had a a little bit more glam version of it, but uh, (laughs) it was glamping his way across the country. Like, let's be real here. (laughs) So he was like, uh, yeah, like give van life a a look kind of thing and yeah it was sort of just like an up-and-coming trend on Instagram and a hashtag whatever but yeah ironically my parents have a 15 passenger van that was sitting in storage so next thing you know I'm living in a van so Goldilocks was born Goldilocks I believe you can look up hashtag Corey's standing places as well which is also very comical you can get a good feel for who Corey is yeah check him out before you go too far where did you race in Europe? Did you go for um, Worlds, or why did you go over? No, I did um, part of the Swiss Cup. 
the Swiss Cup oh, series. Oh, okay. So I, I had actually gone to watch Emily compete in World Championships and then connected with the Swiss team and did a few oh, races in the okay. series. Huh. Yeah. It's funny. I've interviewed your dad about, like, dealing with uh, with kids crashing, particularly all of you. Yep. <laughs> and I We've all like, rung our bell a few times. Yeah, interviewing him was actually really funny because I was like, oh, now I understand why riding with Charlotte is terrifying to me, but you're so good <laughs> at going over things. <laughs> He's telling me stories of like, yeah, and then I just made them like re-ride this one feature until they got it. So yeah. let me start like one of you, I forget which, was like sitting at the top of a feature for like an Probably hour <laughs> and like didn't want to go over it. He's like, we're just going to sit here. Yep. <laughs> It's uh, like I grew up on a farm, so it was just, you know, you just get her done. <laughs> so oh, I think I remember the Canada Cup at Tremblant was always my least favorite because it was always just like super technical and it was always really slick and muddy. And I remember just like absolutely hating it. But yeah, like pre-riding the course, my dad just being like, we'll just sit here until you're ready to ride it. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, it clearly paid off because as soon as you heard, like, oh, the trail gets technical from here yesterday, you're like, oh, I know, I got it. Even Yay. after 3,000 feet of climbing, I was like, oh. ooh. <laughs> yes. So, yesterday, for, for those of you listening, Peter took us on uh, what he called like an a, adventure. An, an all day adventure. It was definitely an all day adventure. He called it like a, a long ish climb. He didn't quite. Give us, like, the, I'd say the breadth of the, the climb. There was a tremendous view at the top. There was, was a tremendous view. For those those of you <laughs> familiar with California, it was in Ojai. It was up Gridley, and then we came down Pratt. Uh, so I was I was okay going up Gridley. I was uh, terrified. <laughs> terrified going down Pratt. I think I was I, also like, a little bit scared. Yeah, I almost cried, like, five times. <laughs> I almost cried, like, five times climbing it. <laughs> so... <laughs> If we could just combine you and me into like one, we'd, be, we'd just go up and down. <laughs> awesome. We'd be fantastic. Yeah. Like the ultimate enduro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was one point where I fell on a switchback and my bike stayed. Yeah. I went down a hill. <laughs> All into the next switchback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or conveniently, you guys were waiting. Just, mm-hmm. Couldn't suffer in silence there. Um, anyway, so you, you've named kind of your, your latest endeavors uh, mini adventures. So yeah. first of all, the spelling is M-I-N-I-I adventures. So how, how did that? Um, so anyone who knows Collingwood or knows me like from Collingwood, um, there's a good friend of mine, Megan Broughton, who lives there. Um, so I've known her quite a significant chunk of my life as well. Um, anyway, so she knows the family, and the nickname just kind of was born from that. Like, I'm the baby of the family, so she called me Mini Batty. Um, and then just to kind of put a creative spin on it, um, when I brought Mini Adventures to life, like, obviously, like, the word or the name Mini is quite common. Um you know, with cars and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So just to put a creative spin on it, um, I gave it three eyes, M-I-N-I-I. That's true. If it was just <laughs> Mini with the one eye, I would think it was like Mini Coopers. Yeah, exactly. Just like going places. Yeah, so just be a little unique. And then um, more so when I was kind of playing around with 
bringing that passion project to life. I was thinking more of designing logos of how you could use the two eyes. It's mm. like wheels or something. I don't know. Oh, I like that. So there's no like good story behind the, the double eye in the end. But um, yeah, the, the it, it was a nickname I've pretty much always had. So mm-hmm. I like the attention to the search, the search, like the searchableness of it or the, yeah, the search you know, term. I went to mm-hmm. school for business. So I'm yeah. trying to think about like. Because yeah, everyone's going <laughs> to find mini. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then, so with that, you started doing some like women's Wednesdays guiding stuff. So yeah, talk through how you went from, yeah, racing to hosting these Wednesday night rides, which I have been on and it was awesome. Yeah. Well, so much fun. Ever in calling me. It's going to happen. Yeah. We'll be back. Yeah. We'll be back. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up as a, a girl in the sport of mountain biking, it's definitely like there's a big lack of presence of like females in the sport. Um, so yeah, I've been working with the truck women, um, who ride club and different like kind of groups over the years. And, um, yeah, it's just like a big niche that definitely needs filling. Absolutely. And I don't know, I really enjoy guiding and instructing. Um, so there wasn't, there isn't much in the area of Collingwood and it's kind of an area that I've fallen in love with and I've gotten to know the, like the trails and stuff really well. Um, and, and there is a presence of people that like of girls and women that want to ride and want to get out. So just trying to like bridging that gap to getting them into their local trails, learning the local trails, and then kind of setting them up for success with the skills to ride those trails and then mm-hmm. the navigating and the orienting, orienteering yeah. of the trails so they can like be comfortable out there. So. And I'll say our Collingwood trails are no freaking joke. Three stage no. is so <laughs> technical. It's terrifying. <laughs> so, but fun. Yes. But th- this is why I have my ride. So mm-hmm. for, yeah, someone like yourself coming in out of the area and you want to go for a ride, like giving that opportunity to join a group ride or do like a private session. Um, but yeah, getting getting you out there and setting you up for success to ride the trails and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads me to, I think so much of the issue with getting women into mountain biking and continuing mountain biking is definitely like a a general blanket, like lack of confidence for most women, especially those of us who get into it at not at the age of like five. (laughs) So how do you, how do you deal with kind of getting women more confident on features? Um, Slash, how do you get confident on features? I mean, we were just talking, you've been on some crazy yeah stuff lately (laughs) um yeah um i i like to try to like break down a feature so kind of see what you're see what you're gonna ride and then break it down so baby steps and that's kind of like a motto that i attack with everything in my life is like okay see the big picture but then how am i gonna accomplish that so like chisel away at it Mm -hmm. um so yeah like a big scary feature is like okay well why don't we yeah, like, let's assess the feature, see what's, like, the smoothest line to ride, the safest ride to line, and then in the end, if you want to ride something or, like, challenge yourself more in it, what's the faster line through it that still combines all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, getting to a feature, getting off the bike, stopping and looking at it, but the key is to not dwell too long at it because then it starts to play in your head and you start thinking of the, the risk and the consequence um, if something does go wrong. So... You know, having that quick look, seeing what your exit is, because sometimes you just can't see, like, the clear exit. But, mm-hmm. 
And then I like to kind of, you know, put the woman back on the trail as if they were riding into it on their bike and say, okay, let's pick a feature that you look at. That's your, like your A marker. So when you're riding into the feature, this is where you want to be looking to set yourself up for the line. And then once you're on the line, you're looking for a B marker. So something that's in the exit that you can then look at to pull yourself through. Because if, if you get looking down and staring at what's in front of you, the chances of succeeding through it are dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, if there's something big that you're going to stare at, you're obviously going to hit it. So trying to find like that B marker just to keep their eyes up, keep their head up, keep them looking for like a smooth exit kind of idea. So um, also depends on like what kind of feature, but if it's a steep drop, like playing around with um, like holding the bike for them, just getting them comfortable in a position on their bike mm-hmm. that maybe they're not used to yet. But um, yeah, it's totally dependent on who is riding and what we're riding. But um, the biggest thing is just getting them looking at the stuff, mm-hmm. assessing it, and then, yeah, not dwelling on it too long. Yeah. And then just ride. Like, that's always been how I do something. Like, I'll never ride blindly into a technical feature. Uh, like, that really was solidified riding down here, like, in places like Sedona and Moab. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just really high consequence riding blindly into something, not knowing what your exit is. And, you know, it could be, like, a significant drop or, yeah. like, a boulder you're going to crash into. So... Yeah. Do you find with women that there's more of a tendency to go into something and, like, hope it works out? Like, one out of ten chance that this yeah. is going to work out? Yeah. I feel like there's... Yeah. Th- I'm going to yeah. argue there's <laughs> two types of women here. There's uh, there's maybe that type, and then there's the ones that, like, won't do it unless it's, like, an 11 out of 10 chance it'll work out. Like, yeah. my, I'm going to say I'm one of those people where it's, like... If I think there's even a slight chance that I'm not going to make it, I freak out and, like, Mm -hmm. tense up and pause, and then it's all over. So, also coming back to, like, the baby steps, like, if you're getting to a feature that you're that freaked out on or that, like, unsure about, then going kind of back to the drawing board and finding smaller things, so a smaller log to Mm -hmm. just practice, and then just slowly and gradually kind of building up to the bigger feature. Yeah, the amount of times that Peter and I have had to start on parking lot lines for me. But whatever works, right? And, and then yep. that's the thing, at the end of the day, it's, you know, everything works a little bit differently for different people, so. Yeah, for sure. I think actually one of the big things you taught me was, I mean, this this past summer we had my bachelorette party at yeah. <laughs> Downhill Park. Best bachelorette party ever. It was so good. <laughs> And I admit, I was, like, totally terrified um, at first. And then I realized, like, having the bigger bike and being on these, like, trails that were kind of, you like know, made for downhill. <laughs> oh, my God. It was amazing. And I feel like it gave me so much more confidence than getting on my XC bike. But I think a lot of women would do the opposite, right? They'll start yeah. on, like, a hardtail or, like, even a cyclocross right. bike so or something. Right, so not necessarily being, like, set up for success with their equipment even. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll start on this, like, really hard, yeah, like, just a really non-forgiving bike and then get on trails and be, like, completely screwed. But if you just get on, like, the big bike that maybe seems a little scarier and, like, <laughs> yeah. the downhill trails that maybe seem a little scarier, they're really not. <laughs> it is an interesting question whether more people were introduced to downhill first. Yeah. Because um, I've definitely noticed a big jump in my like downhill speed so I'm just like I'm more aggressive riding downhill mm-hmm. than I was before just because I'm used to now riding things at speed and mm-hmm. forcing myself to like react and you have so much and, armor and I yeah. mean the 
beginner runs on a downhill thing are probably less technical than a lot of cross country yeah, exactly. stuff. <laughs> but you don't have to pedal, so fitness is yeah. taken there. So it's more fun as a beginner because mm-hmm. you take fitness out of the equation and you don't really get dropped because you're getting stopped for the lift. In Ontario, you're getting stopped every, I don't know how long it takes a beginner to get down, but five to ten minutes, worst case probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wonder if that like basic with suspension and you know lots of gear to take care of fear... Mm-hmm. Um, that some people would have, whether that would be a better introduction. But then I wonder if anyone would ride cross-country then. <laughs> well, that's the problem, right? <laughs> Although riding at, so Blue Mountain, like home hill, downhill This is in Collingwood, Ontario, not the one in, is that in Pennsylvania <laughs> or in New Jersey, that the other Blue Mountain? Oh, yeah, we have Blue Mountain in Pennsylvania. It's probably a Blue okay. Mountain in every state. Blue Mountain in Collingwood, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> Ontario's mountain town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like the mountain town. It's fantastic. That's why I love it. Um, the only thing with, so right now they only have one lift access on the hill and it's kind of at like one end and all of the trails are at the other end. So for anyone that doesn't know Blue Mountain in Collingwood, Ontario, we don't have much vertical height to work with, but we have a lot of real estate horizontally. (laughs) So when you get to the top, you literally are riding... I don't know, probably close to a kilometer before you're getting to the majority of trails. So imagine being on a 40 pound, 200 mil travel downhill bike, like you get a workout pedaling across the top. So, but at the same time, I do feel like that's, that's equally valuable. I mean, if we could all just go downhill, (laughs) I'd probably weigh like 200 pounds right now. Oh, but I mean, sometimes it's like, just a like Charlotte side, says, you have to ride a little bit, right? And the faster you get, the harder each run gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was actually saying yesterday, going down Pratt, I think my heart rate probably averaged the same as higher. it did going <laughs> up Gridley, just out of like fear and also like, yeah, standing and like keeping your muscles ready. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more like static. You're basically holding a squat for yeah. a long amount of time. I remember the first we- year we were here, I was coming down uh, one of the trails we didn't take the other day, and I asked uh, one of our friends, Evan, I was like, does it, is it always going to hurt when I go down? Like, does it ever get <laughs> easier so standing? Easy. And he's like, no, it really doesn't. You just get used to it. I was so yeah. sad. <laughs> That's totally it. And then uh, one of the things that I've kind of retaught myself in the last couple of years, and especially with having Joyride 150, the indoor bike park in Markham, um, playing around in there on like a dirt jumper on like the pump track or the skinnies is um, when you're standing in like your ready position, so just kind of your athletic, ready to attack, whatever the trail throws at you kind of mm-hmm. position, um, learning to ride with your feet switched around. So then yes. when you get into the longer downhills, you're comfortable enough to, to rotate your feet and you still feels confident and is strong with your ability and skill with that. So yeah. that's one thing that I've been, like, I'm always working on it. But um, when you get into, like, pretty serious downhills or downhilling, um, getting comfortable rotating your legs around. It yeah. also helps a lot because, I mean, any downhill application, you're going to have berm corners usually. So you, yeah, you want to switch for, for sure. Yeah. And then also even like today on the road, like I, this, a pothole was like in the shade and like we were pedaling along and then I was like switch foot, but then like popped over it, but like it was switch just by happenstance. And so it definitely helps like, cause that happens in cross country, you'll be pedaling and then have to get up a log. But like Mm -hmm. a lot of times I think we like have to slow down to get like our power foot, our perfect, you know, our normal front foot 
into the right spot to like sort of power mm-hmm. stroke over it or pop over it. Mm-hmm. In cross, I was always taught to like be able to do like a half thing where you can kind of go back and then like push forward. The problem is that doesn't really work in mountain bike because you're <laughs> you're spinning so much or you're usually in like such an easy gear that like ratcheting back is yeah. often not really even like possible. No, you can't when you're climbing a lot yeah. of times. Like that works until it doesn't, right? Yeah. And and it, the thing with being able to have a ready position that's both ways is that you just don't care. Like you just can stop, you just carry right? On. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, and then actually, since we're talking about descending, any any tips for <laughs> descending in terms of like if I'm a new woman and I'm like on trails and then there's downhills and I'm terrified. Uh, the the biggest thing in downhill cross country, etc., um, is just getting people like comfortable standing on their bike. So coming back to that ready position, it is the foundation to almost all of the skills that you'll develop on your mountain bike. Mm-hmm. So just getting really comfortable with that ready position, and then obviously as you um, start going downhill, you're going to get more dynamic and kind of change it around a little bit. And same thing with climbing or um, well, I guess climbing, you're more likely to be sitting, but sometimes there's still a little bit of that kind of like a, like a hovering action happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, getting really like comfortable and confident standing on your bike, um, and like, yeah, that dynamic ready position. If you can do that, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like the key to, to all of it. Yeah. <laughs> unlocks kind of everything. Yeah. For sure. I think you found that having bigger tires than, like, a cross-country person maybe wants. Like, if you're technically limited, putting, like, some good enduro tires on your bike, and you can fit pretty big tires on bikes, but knobby tires at least, and then Mm. wider handlebars. I was just going to say, the wider handlebars, And dropper posts, too. Like, I mean, bikes are getting so light now, but dropper posts are also getting lighter, and you don't have to get, like, a full-size dropper. You can get, I think, half droppers and stuff now, too. Yeah, even, like... I was so jealous. A little bit. So jealous of the dropper. If like Julian Julian Absalon's using a dropper post in cross country racing, it probably means that most people who are cross country riders could do it. If like world champion and Olympian, Mm -hmm. you know, is is using it and deciding to carry that weight around with him. Yeah, yeah, that definitely opens up a big, yeah, bigger window of. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and shout out to uh, previous podcast guest Scott Kelly, who actually gave us the the burly tires that are now on my mountain bike as a wedding present. Awesome, best present ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, so outside of outside of mountain biking, since you got out of the competitive cycling uh, craziness. uh, You do a lot of, I mean, you do hiking. I know you do some yoga, all that kind of stuff. Talk yeah. about, yeah, how much better life is now that you're not on one, one track. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, when I was competing, uh, like, especially in high school, like, I was in school full-time. Um, I was still maintaining, like, a 20-hour-a-week part-time job. And then, yeah, training, gosh, I don't know, any, anywhere from, like, upwards of another 20 hours or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was a long time ago. But, um. Yeah, I think what just kind of got to me was, like, I'm a very, well, I don't want to say stubborn, but I'm, like, an independent kind of, you know what, I want to, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, sort of Mm -hmm. thing, and I'll make it happen, but just being given a schedule, just, I don't know, it was like, well, I don't, I don't really feel like riding X number of hours today, or I don't feel like doing intervals today, and 
So that started to kind of take away the like independence that I wanted out of the the training program, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, when I decided to no longer compete, um, I think I took about six months off. Like I took a full season off. Okay. Didn't do anything. Like didn't work out. Nothing. And then six months kind of hit, and it was just like, huh. Like I feel like I'm really missing something here and then I found my bike again and got back on it and um a whole new world opened up it was like you know what it's my bike I'm gonna ride it I'll ride it when I want how long I want and yeah just having that freedom really like changes your perspective on it so it yeah it's a lot more well not that it wasn't fun before but it's a lot it is a lot more fun like it's my my ride I'm chasing the trails doing what I want kind of things yeah I think so many people who get out of cycling after being, like, heavily into, like, junior racing and stuff don't take that six months. Yeah, that was a key. (laughs) Yeah. You know, fall off the diet, fall off the exercise, like, and then you're kind of like, oh, I I really do need something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think most people just go until they're so cracked that, like, nothing is going to get them to want to ride their bike again, and then they just kind of hang it up and, like, don't come back to it, and that's Mm -hmm. that's the saddest thing. (laughs) Yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's definitely, like, the long-term athletic or athlete development model does have, like, it's supposed to circle around to, like, lifelong participation and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, whatever, getting your kids into it or, you know, helping with a club or, you know, whatever. But it's unfortunate, like, the long-term development model often, I think, it falls short in, like, making sure that that, like, loops around. It's sort of like the stepwise process through the ranks of racing mm-hmm. um, in the ideal model culminating with, like, Olympic championships. But it doesn't, like, deal well enough a lot of times with that retirement, which is, to me, the retirement from sport is, like, really intriguing because it's handled so poorly a lot of the times. I mean, retirement in general is hard for people, no matter what they're sort of changing their identity from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Yeah, I think Peter actually met me sort of right when I was, like, at that, like, totally burned out and ready to be mm. done with racing <laughs> point. I probably pretty much was, like, the happiest person in the world to get to use him as an excuse to not be racing. <laughs> Because he was racing, and I didn't have time to do both. Yeah, sure. Both, I'll like, be supportive. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, no. I guess I can't race this weekend. Too bad. So I was Darn. lucky to have that, I think. Um, and then let's let's talk van life. So, first of oh, all, yeah. let's, let's kind of run down, like, where the heck you've been since you left in January. Actually, yeah, it's, like, I think it was two months this week. Yeah, because you've been to yeah. a bunch of our favorite places, too. Yeah, and I think so a lot of times people, you know, van life is a, a hashtag, but I think a lot of people, you know, I have clients who have their Volkswagen vans or whatever they have, and, yeah. you know, they're going to book a week or two weeks or four weeks and go on a big adventure, and so I think there's a lot of value in just hearing, like, where did you go? You've had this t- period of time. Where did you go? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've always had this kind of weird fascination with the Southwest, um, like United States. So like the desert, the red rock, just like barren land. I don't, I don't know. I, that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, let it be shown that we are in sunny California. Yeah, right now. There is an ocean shore, down the block. And I am not in the desert because I don't like the desert, but to each their own. It's kind of a desert. I appreciate that you came to my area. 
We did Prior sit in the sand today. Rainfall. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it was on the beach and it was yeah. amazing, but yes, it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, down here, I don't know. There's just something about like the rock formations and the colors, and yeah, the desert has some of the most consistent weather, especially this time of year. Like it's getting to like optimal warm temperatures during the day, and it's sunny and moderate temperatures at night. Uh, but not only that, it does have some really fantastic mountain biking down here. And it's, yeah. Um, yeah, like a lot of people have heard of Moab. People are now starting to hear of Sedona. But there's a lot of little places like in between um, that I've been trying to find and, and get some running in at. Um, so my sister, who's training all winter, her and uh, her husband live in Tucson for the winter. Um, so Tucson, Arizona. So I hit the road from Brooklyn, Ontario, where my parents live. Uh, my mom actually took a week and she drove down with me. So we had like a... Your mom is such a badass. Mother-daughter road I love trip. it. <laughs> she, uh, she was a trooper sleeping in the like little makeshift bench bed that I had I set love up your mom. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we landed in Tucson, hung out in Tucson for a couple weeks, had a good visit. You also went to Mega Caverns on the way down. Mm. Let's... Let's yeah, talk about how rad those are for a second. Awesome. So awesome. Oh, my God. It's pretty cool to, yeah, like, say you rode in a cave. I know. Well, I guess it's a mine, but still, it's a cave. Yeah. We'll have to link out to a couple posts, because we've been there as well. We did that last year in Louisville, and we were there, actually, like, as the owner came in, Peter, do you remember this? He, like, drove in on his Jeep, and we were filming for <laughs> Bicycling Magazine on, like, live on, like, Snapchat or something. And he's just like, come screw He comes through. in and I, he's just like, hey, like, could you do tricks for these investors? It was like on Jurassic Park when they're like showing it to like the investor and the lawyer and like one kooky person and they like all wanted to see like what it was. And I was like, I am not doing backflips for you, but I'll hit some jumps. But <laughs> so they watched me hit jumps for five minutes and then rolled away in their like Land Rovers. But so to me, it was just oh, Jurassic yes. Park and I was a dinosaur. And I'm just, like, awkwardly, like, on Snapchat for bicycling, like, hey, guys, this is the owner of Mega Caverns. Yeah, like, in the middle of, uh, like, a live video, which is, does Periscope still exist? No, it's Periscope! Does Periscope still exist? I don't know. Charlotte, you're in charge of this stuff. Periscope. Nah, Charlotte's making a face like it doesn't exist. Okay, it's out. Is it an app or something? Yeah, it's like Snapchat. But no, we'll, we'll it was. We'll it was, pretend it was Snapchat and Periscope didn't exist. Yeah, Twitter's live (laughs) video streaming thing. Ah, uh, okay. I've heard of it. Yeah, so out of date. <laughs> Apparently. We're so out of touch. Oh, God. I've been trying Snapchat. Charlotte has been, like, trying to get me on Snapchat it's for, a, like, a year. It's actually, like, funny enough. So, I live a couple hours from home. Emily, my sister, she's on the road. Um, but between, like, my mom and my sister and I, we use Snapchat, like, so frequently to stay in touch. Because, yeah, like, little 10-second video... Like, here's my little snippet of what I'm doing today or something. Ugh, and if I could get my mom on it, I feel like I would use it more because she always wants to, like, have the phone conversations and stuff. But if I could just, like, get her to, like, just <laughs> yeah. watch the video. Like, just skip all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, but anyway. It's been a, it's been a good, good tool, I guess. Um, anyway. Yeah, so stopped in uh, Louisville at the Mega Caverns. And, yeah, ripped around for the afternoon. It was, like, a... Tuesday, middle of the day, so there's nobody in there, mm-hmm. so just placed myself. Um, then carried on and trekked across kind of the southern states, landed in Tucson, um, which I've been to quite a few times, but again, 
I was training for mountain bike, like cross country mountain bike racing. So I was always just bringing my road bike just to get like the base miles in kind of early winter, spring training. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of neat being back there uh, with my mountain bike because there is a lot of really great riding there. Um, Some really technical riding too. And lots of cacti that my my tire doesn't hold air anymore (laughs) because of Tucson. Um, which I should probably change that. Yeah. But, um, I got so upset when I was there last year because I got one of the sticky cactuses first on my shoe and then I tried oh, to no. scrape it off with my other shoe and then it got on my other shoe it too. Just, then it got on my leg like and then in my glow. hand. It was awful. <laughs> and they were all laughing at me. It was like at an eight hour that I was like hanging out at and everyone was just watching me Dancing like. Dancing with this cactus stuck to you. Not my finest. Well, funny enough, um, yeah, everything in Tucson is sharp. Like, yeah. don't touch it. And so I had no, like, thankfully no run-ins with any scary plants, but at my sister and Adam's place, they, I don't know, it's like a guest house, so there was a potted prickly pear, and I somehow tripped and landed in it. <laughs> you fall on the one potted yeah. cactus in all of Tucson. Yeah, so that was the the one and only, like, run-in I've had with sharp plants. Um, but yeah, so I spent some time in Tucson, um, yeah, kind of just got out of the area what, like, kind of left me feeling, like, satisfied, like, I've been explored and checked out different trails, and then, um, place that's been on, like, kind of my radar for a long time was Joshua Tree National Park, so I drove out there, it is, like, the definition of barren and mm-hmm. isolated out there, but one of the most, like, unique places um, like you have to check it out. So spent a few days there. Um, I just actually got back into, well, I would say more indoor climbing in the last year. Um, uh, but I did do some like outdoor sport climbing, um, growing up. So again, I brought like my climbing stuff with me, but being solo, um, I was limited to bouldering. And then it was also a big reminder of how hard outdoor climbing is. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. I was referring it or giving people the metaphor that, like, if you come and do a spin class, you're like, yeah, I could ride a mountain bike. And then you get on a mountain bike and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yep. That's what indoor to outdoor climbing feels like. It's funny. I'm actually literally (laughs) right now working on an article about, like, indoor cycling and, like, transitioning it to the outdoors (laughs) and, like, what the differences are. And it's like, yeah, 25 miles an hour on the indoor spin bike is not the same thing as riding (laughs) 25 miles an hour outside. No. We did a podcast with... The rock climber Leslie Timms. Leslie Timms, who's from Collingwood. Yeah, and we have really. She was in Joshua Tree when I was there. Did you see her? But there's no cell service in the oh, park. Oh, you should have connected. So... I bet you she would have taken you. Well, my friend Megan knows her, so we oh. were playing broken telephone. So I'd have to come out of the park to get cell service, wow. and same thing on her end. And oh, anyways, that's so sad. She's an amazing climber too. Gonna make it Definitely connect, follow though. her on Instagram and wa- listen to our episode with Leslie. It was one of our first ones, but it was a good one. Yeah. She came to the condo and we just like chatted, and awesome. she was we had never met her. She just came and yeah, sat down yeah, and chatted, and like an awesome we're like, we're not crazy. We swear. We but <laughs> she runs a guiding company in Collingwood, and I actually for Molly's birthday we went climbing, not with her, but with one of the guys that works for her. And it was an awesome day. We just hiked into oh. Old uh, Mount Baldy, Old Baldy, Old Baldy, Old Baldy in Col- near Collingwood, near Thornbury. Um, and it was a great like four hours we spent, I think. And he mm-hmm. sort of taught you basics of like knots and top roping and stuff. But set up and but it was so nice. Oh but definitely God. having some cool. people and like someone that knows knots and yeah, ropes it's and the kind of danger. Thing that- 
Yeah, you got to know what you're doing or have somebody. Wow, there are so many rad women in Collingwood. I'm just now like... It's becoming like a hub for like outdoor rad chicks. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, we need to buy a house right now, Peter. Right now. Call yeah. call a real estate agent. <laughs> I don't even care what house. I know a couple. <laughs> we, yeah. Now my like wheels are turning. I'm like, wait, we all know Leslie too. We should... Yeah. We need a club or like a, I don't know, something. Yeah. Anyway, Joshua Tree, climbing. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so I was limited to just bouldering. Just bouldering. Bouldering is the best part of climbing. Yeah, Whatever. I, know, I really do enjoy it. Um, but it was hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so my friend Megan actually ended up, well, ended up, she had planned. She came down to Sedona for four weeks, kind of over the month of February. So I left Joshua Tree and on the way from Joshua Tree to Phoenix to pick her up, I had a wheel bearing go on the van. <laughs> the and dark side of van life. Yeah. I know. It's scary. Well, when a wheel bearing goes, it's quite scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I ended up sitting on the side of the interstate and thankfully was like just back inside cell service, was within my hundred mile towing. Um, yeah. It all happened in daylight. Like, thank goodness. So yeah. Bad situation, but couldn't have gone any smoother, I guess. Mm-hmm. So still managed to get to the airport, picked Megan up, um, like I scheduled. And then we ended up in Sedona. We spent, well, yeah, no, I spent four weeks there. Holy. Yeah. Even two months ago. I That's know. the crazy part. Van life, the time just kind of like melts. Yeah. Like it just kind of like the the days turn into weeks, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's been two months. How did that happen? <laughs> but it's an, it's been incredible. Um, so, yeah, I spent four weeks in Sedona. Um, just, like, rode the crap out of all the trails there. Like, there's, there's rumor there's closer to 250 miles of, like, official single track. And I think I rode probably pretty close to all of them. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, you had that 100K a week goal. Yeah. Yeah, my goal was to get in 100 kilometers of single track of the four, each week of the four weeks I was there. Um, first two weeks, like, crushed it. And then going into the third week, um, I was riding on the sidewalk in the dark. <laughs> and a little mishap. So uh, a couple days off the bike following that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't hit it the third week. Womp, and then, womp. I know. <laughs> Um, but then the fourth week, yep, back at it, um, the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival happened at the end of that week. Oh, yeah. Really awesome event. Um, it was their third year. They said it's been, like, growing, almost doubling in size every year. So, actually ended up volunteering, um, the Friday morning, scored, like, a free pass for the weekend. I was gonna totally bait you into talking about that, because I think that's, like, the number one van life hack that, like... Yeah, if you can like find some way to volunteer and trade for I don't know whether it's like yeah a pass to a Melbourne festival mm-hmm. camp yeah. like I don't know always I'm try to still, volunteer yeah, always try always so yeah that was a really awesome event like really great way to kind of like wrap up the four weeks in Sedona mm-hmm. um yeah really well put together they had shuttles kind of running constantly all day every day beer gardens live music tons of different brands and vendors and like so rad. rides and clinics and yeah so that's definitely a cool destination for sure 
Yeah, Sedona's yeah. also, like, pretty kooky as far as, like, yeah. very spiritual. You said you took a meditation class? Yes. Um, so what was that like? I, I love this. I'm, like, <laughs> dying to take one. Um, well, it definitely left, I definitely left feeling, was I asleep for 30 minutes? Or did <laughs> I, like, find that ultimate, like, well-being feeling or something whatever the mm-hmm. they call it enlightenment or something yeah um but yeah no I, I like I've done a bit of reading and I know some people that do like meditation and definitely starting with a guided meditation is the better way to go I think so um yeah it's a really like challenging thing to do to like sit and kind of be quiet and like quiet your mind and um so yeah just having like that guide in the background to sort of just like bring you back and Mm -hmm. it's definitely a good definitely the best way to get into it um and then yeah there's lots of they're called vortex or or something yeah i don't know yeah and they're just like some weird energy source electromagnetic something is just right yeah they they claim they can't like measure if it's yeah electro or magnetic or whatever but there's some sense of, like, good energy. Yeah, energy vortex. <laughs> so where we were staying um, for the four weeks, we were actually within the half a mile of one. Ooh. And apparently within a half a mile is, like, good. Did you feel, so. like, amazing? Not after I crashed the one week, but <laughs> the rest of the time, yes. Come on, vortex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sedona just has, like, a really good... Really good vibe, considering it is, like, a big tourist destination. It's, yeah. But it's a big split. There's, like, mountain bikers, and you can pick them out. And then there's, like, the cliche, Yoga like, tourists. <laughs> yeah. But just, like, a good vibe all around. Yeah. Really it's definitely on, on our bucket list. Yeah. I keep saying I, I get grumpy because every year when we're driving home, we're, like, <laughs> in a rush to get back. And every year when we're driving here, we're in a rush to get here for what, you know, right. we always have a reason we need to be here or we need to be back. Mm-hmm. One year. One year I just want to have, like, two weeks to go back yeah. and actually check out the cool places. Yeah, all the, like, cool national parks and... Yeah, I was like, going to say, you really... did some of the other national parks, too. Yeah, so I did a quick trip. Um, so my boyfriend flew in for a week. Uh, we went up to the Grand Canyon for a day. Then we went to Moab for two days. So we took in Arches National Park and some mountain biking there. Mm-hmm. Um, then we hit up Zion National Park, which is probably, like, on par with Joshua Tree. Like, both really awesome places. Um, But I think I really liked Zion because it reminded me of Sedona. Mm -hmm. It had that, like, red rock kind of look to it, like the similar geological features. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then now I'm out here. Yeah. (laughs) Did you make any major discoveries about, like, you did primitive camping a few nights? Any, like, good advice for that? (laughs) Um, really handy tool that I have used, um, like someone told me about it too, it was freecampsites.net, really good, um, website for finding those, like, primitive campsites, um, yeah, so I've, I've, yeah, definitely found some really unique ones, like, awesome locations, definitely been to ones that are a little bit, I don't know, just kind of more commonly used, I guess, Mm -hmm. but, uh, generally those are pretty good, they're in decent areas but you're a little more isolated so um unfortunately when I am traveling solo which is like a good chunk of the time um I will try to stick to a campground just for a little bit more of like sense of security so but um 
Yeah, and then just because I'm down here, like, with the focus of mountain biking, like, Trail Forks, the app has been an awesome tool. You can Mm -hmm. download it, download the maps, don't need service, because a lot of the places I'm riding, like, won't have cell service. Yeah. So that's been a really good tool. Um, And then buying a National Parks Pass, which is called America the Beautiful Pass or something. It's an 80 bucks upfront investment, but when you're paying, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks a park entrance fee every time, yeah, it adds up really quick. So that was a good purchase early on. <laughs> Absolutely. And then even I were just talking about this before we started recording. The thick socks, I feel like, are like oh, the yeah, number one thing. Sleep is just as important as the coffee and your food. During the day. So, um, yeah, like in the van I had, um, my dad helped me build just like a single bed, but like on a bunk. So I have storage underneath, but like a good mattress on it, good bedding. Um, Yeah, like the desert gets hot during the day, but it also gets quite cold at night. So just being set up to like be comfortable sleeping and Mm -hmm. a good pair of like wool socks. Yep. And a toque. Yes. That's, That's a winter cap. For anyone that speaks American. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think the other thing you and I have talked a bunch about, and Peter's rolling his eyes as I talk about it, is how important organization is. It is the key to family. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It's it's super challenging just having, um, yeah, like I I mount bike, I have my biking gear, I have some climbing gear. Um, There was that one point I was, as funny as the sound, I was tossing the idea of throwing in my stand-up paddleboard. Oh, my God. No, I know, but believe it or not, um, like, I connected with some people in Sedona, and they gave me, like, all their secret, like, lakes and, like, ponds that they go to and stuff. So I'm like, oh, there totally would have been, like, use for it. But, um, yeah, again, just, like, limited for space, so that got left out of the equation. But, um, yeah, it's really important because um, it's really easy to, like, misplace key things, like keys and mm-hmm. wallets and sunglasses. And um, when I'm done riding, I like to take, like, the insoles out of my shoes so they can air out. So, mm-hmm. like, not losing the insoles for your shoes. So everything has a home. You just have to be really diligent to, like, put things back in their place right away. And <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Just, absolutely. like, making good habits right from the start. And mm-hmm. But it can be very easy to fall out of the good habits. You know, you get to a campsite late, you just, you've been driving all day or ridden a big day, and you just want to, like, crash and go to bed. So. Yeah. And, I mean, we talked about this a bunch, too, like, the importance of, like, the, the routines and, like, yes. we were both saying, like, we've both done, like, the daily journaling thing, and it's so easy to get out of that I habit know. as soon as something comes up in the morning. I know. So, yeah, finding, like, that bit of structure, at least to get your day started or, like, finish the day, mm-hmm. definitely gives it more of, like, that homey kind of normal feeling, because it is totally different than... Yeah. Like being at home. So. Well, I mean, otherwise it's so easy to then just, like, sleep in super late and, like, go to yeah. bed at, like, weird times and just, <laughs> yeah, not really stick to any kind of schedule, which sounds great for, like, a week. And then you're just like, wait, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm off for three months. Like, I can't waste my time. Yeah. <laughs> sleeping in. Although it was kind of funny at the start. Uh, so, yeah, we took six days to drive down. It was about a 4,000-kilometer drive. Oh. Um, so, yeah, just six days of travel. Um, I had just come from, like, a pretty hectic, like, work schedule over Christmas. And 
literally the first two weeks I was I actually didn't do much I just like kind of felt like blah and then I just realized I needed to like unwind and relax Mm -hmm. and get a bit of rest and then wind back up for the adventures ahead (laughs) okay I like I like that and at some point I'm going to remember to do that yep (laughs) yeah right like you kind of need the unwinding to get to the winding again yeah totally (laughs) and yeah like the rest days are just as important as the the on days and um, definitely remembering to take care of yourself too so yeah for sure and not being on a training schedule I can be like yeah today's a rest day or I'm gonna hike instead or mm-hmm. go lay by the by the water on the beach hey whatever <laughs> we rode today too yep <laughs> maybe <laughs> some donuts be, maybe <laughs> you know there's there's instagrams to prove both of those things but hopefully <laughs> Peter will never look at the uh Peter can't look at the story because he doesn't update his Instagram app, so he can't he can't see the donuts. <laughs> like they don't exist for you. In yes. some other realm. <laughs> anyway, that's all awesome. How can people follow along with all of the mini adventures? Ooh. Um, so I have been trying my best. No, but I've been um, blogging about my adventures um, through my website. Uh, which is miniadventures.com. Remember, it's M-I-N-I-I, adventures. And I've also been contributing um, to Riding Feels Good, um, sharing some blog posts through there. Um, I've been pretty frequent with Instagram, mini underscore adventures. Um, Yeah, some Snapchat here and there, but uh, yeah, mostly Instagram and through the blog and a bit of Facebook, but I feel like that's not as... Up to date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will link to all of that. The Instagram is awesome. I'm I'm actually out here. I'm literally with you riding, and I'm jealous of the riding. So <laughs> I highly awesome. advise everyone to follow it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Charlotte. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford, and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.